some people are going to know me for this social activities some people might know me for entrepreneurship some people might know me for being a family man and having a wife and kid today's episode of everyday leadership i have a multi-award winning creative entrepreneur he's someone who Talks about visibility a lot. I think it's strict by if you're not visible, you're invisible. So you know he's a he's a publicity expert who's been in the game for almost like two decades. This in art and events. He sits on several boards. He's a director as well, and he runs his own business. You'll have seen him popping up on and Good Morning Britain as well a number of times over the years. But I have the pleasure of just spending the next hour or so just learning from from true. And learning about his story. How are you doing? I am really good, thank you. And thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm really, really looking forward to this discussion. Let's always I would start off with is what the come up was like. Is you were one of six or one of seven actually, seven in total, if I believe to your two and brother, one of one of seven coming up. And how do you talk about coming up in in Birmingham, young age, extreme poverty, and still having this lens of arts, like performing arts and loving performing arts. And I was curious, like, where did that actually come from? You know, I, I so that is such a, a really good question because, you know, we, we, we grew up in the inner city area of Birmingham, you know, Newtown, Stroke, Aston, shout at B6. And... <laughs> And, you know, we, we, I'm one of seven, but I'm one of six boys and I grew up in a single parent household. So you could only but imagine how boisterous my household was, quote unquote. And it was interesting because both my brother and I, and I'm talking about my twin brother and I, we loved performing and creative arts. You know, we had a deep-rooted passion for it. And it might have been because actually when we were younger, we was constantly spending quite a lot of time with with my mum who was who loved music. She wasn't a musician, she wasn't a singer or anything like that, but she was a lover of music and she appreciated good, good music. She appreciated appreciated Luther Van Drafts and you know Whitney Houston and Patty the Band and you know those Aretha Franklin, those singers and and she would play them and, and we would listen to them and we would love them and we would sing along with her. And I guess our passion for music began then, but our passion for singing probably began when we started church and we used to go to church every week and we used to sing in the praise and worship. And, you know, we used to lead praise and worship with our little, little selves, you know, little six, seven, eight-year-old selves. And we quickly realised not that we had a gift, even though I do believe that, you know, our, our vocals were a gift, but that we we were slightly better than other peers our age in terms of vocals and singing and stuff. And and we had this thing where there was two of us. So automatically it was that, oh, can you sing one of us? So I think our, our, our passion for music and vocals began from being around my mum and being around really good music music but also for singing, kind of going to church and, and being in church. I can imagine that growing up in Nessie at that point in time, and you having that love and that passion for performing arts, people around you would have been around into like 
football and the different things like that. So you having that different lens wouldn't have been the easiest thing to navigate with, with other people or the teenagers in school. But yeah, there was something around that that still kept on driving you forward rather than making you pull back. Whether that, because that for me, that's courage. From a very young age, you have that. That's that's very courageous. So how was that journey for you? Oh, child. Bad <laughs> <laughs> child. You know, I... Just thinking, just thinking back to those younger days, it actually doesn't upset me. You're right. You know, it wasn't an easy thing to do. It was actually really difficult. You know, we would be ridiculed constantly. You know, our manhood would be questioned at such a young age. Our sexuality, by way of using it in a derogatory term, which I find absolutely barbaric, was put in the limelight. And it was hard. It was difficult. More than anything, we couldn't live the lives the way that we wanted to live our lives. I think, you know, proudly being, you know, creative beings because that's what we were, were born into because of, of fear. And, and, and don't get me wrong, we, we still did it anyway because we felt that, you know, actually no one was going to tell us what to do and how to live our lives and, and what we could do and what we should find, what we should find as acceptable for society. And it is, and I'm going to use the term that toxic black masculinity, particularly where we were, where we were born. It was just almost like, this is how black boys need to live their lives. And if you wanted to sing and dance, or if you navigated outside of this box, then you are seen less than not just a man, but less than a black man or a black boy. And, and having that from your own community was, was very, very difficult. But, you know, what was great about it was there was two of us. And I honestly say, if it was just me, I don't think I will be able to withstand the the abuse that, that was, you know, inflicted on us just because we wanted to do the arts. But because there was two of us, we could weather the storm together. We could fight together. We could, you know, we could bounce up one another. And it was so much more easier. So um, I'm assured that it was because there was two of us why we were able to withstand and have the courage to just engage in in performing arts and whine and kin up ourselves if we wanted to and don't actually care what anyone else feels. And and it's interesting because people always ask me, you know, why ask to perform in arts? You know, why why this? And I tell you why, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a little black boy, I didn't have a safe space to engage in performing arts. My brother didn't have a safe space to engage in performing arts. And and we always vow to ourselves that when we become of age, if there isn't a safe space, we're going to create one. And it's important that our black boys, our young black boys, who feel the need to want to dance or kin up, you know, dance the Spice Girls, whatever they want to do, there's a safe space for them to do that. And, this, and what, one of the reasons why I love Aston Performing Arts Academy because it has now turned heads and it has now been held as one of the, you know, leading performing arts organisations in the Midlands. And not just that, it's those people who used to ridicule us. I, we perform at events and I see them now singing along and dancing and celebrating and, and not batting an eyelid. And of course, growth does many, many different things. But it even transcends to 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 kids and to young people. You know, it, it's now seen as, as quite cool. 
I appreciate that and I understand the assignment and I understand the mission and I understand that we had no choice but to create a space for young black boys from the inner city to engage in arts. We, 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 it was incumbent upon us. We couldn't, there's no way, it was impossible for us to live the experiences that we lived and not have something to address that need. It, was, it would be absolutely impossible and actually criminal. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to, which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. An Apple podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. You say it would have been criminal or impossible, but it's still a choice because there's so many people who go through struggles and challenges and they want to run as far away as possible. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to remember it. But you and your brother were very intentional around, no, we want to do something about this. We don't want other people to go through the experiences that we went through. So you actually leaned into your pain and you turned that pain to purpose and you channeled that in a way that actually ended up affecting so many people and making a difference to so many, so many, so many lives. Very good point. And I, I agree. You know, we, we could have retreated. We could have turned our back on the arts. We could have turned our back on our community. But we're just not built like that. I think although we didn't have much, you know, growing up, we, we didn't have, you know, we grew up in poverty. We came from humble beginnings. There were certain lessons that we learned on the way. And, you know, love was absolutely paramount in our house, in our household. Loyalty was, was paramount, but also addressing things head on, you know, and providing solutions. That was something that my mum always, always told us to do. Like, it, we wasn't happy with anything, you know, we should provide a solution. I mean, in on paper, our lives should be very different. Statistics will tell us our lives, and I'm not just talking about me and my brother, I'm talking about us as a family unit, should be very different. Six boys in the inner city, six black boys. When we're looking at stats, you know, we should have been in gangs, we should have been in prison, we should have been shouting, we should have been doing all sorts of things. You know, we should have been out there doing X, Y, Z with different girls and blah, blah, blah. But I, we're, we're completely not like that. We to provide all of those arts collectively, you know, all of us bar one of the boys are married, you know, with kids, you know, we're all working, we're all doing, you know, career jobs and, you know, and, and we are, we, we, we hold that all to, to our, our mother who told us to always address things and always provide solutions to problems. And that is a great lesson for any entrepreneur. You know, you, 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 as an entrepreneur, your main goal in life is to provide solutions to problems. But we had that teaching from early. We had those teachings from early. Problem, solution, problem, solution. Stop dwelling. Put yourself a hook. Find a solution. I love that. That's a, such a great lesson that your mum instilled in, in all of you, which... It's a life lesson that you kind of keep on need to 
we apply constantly as you're going through the different iterations of, of life and different challenges that keep on coming up and, and rising. Because it's quite easy just to dwell or to feel sorry for yourself or learn to be like, nope, get up, do something about it, change it. Don't stay in that, in that, in that space. It's powerful for sure. And you've been with, I know you've been married for what, about 12 years, me and your wife for about 22 years. You've done your research. <laughs> What's been some, some key lessons you've learned that you can share over the last 22 years? Patience, little brother. Patience is definitely one of them. Like just having that level of patience, I have to exercise because sometimes it gets really, really intense. And it's just knowing when to pull away from a certain situation. And another key lesson is just to solve things, solutions, you know, solutions to problems. Like if there's a problem, we always talk about it. We always find a solution. And even if it's a solution that we both don't necessarily agree with or one side's agree and another side doesn't agree, we have to find a solution. We have to find a common ground. Otherwise, it's just going to fester and fester and fester. I'm sad in love just because the reason why I'm willing to find solutions and sacrifice and silence my sometimes my own wants and needs is because of love and it's because I appreciate and love, you know, my wife and I, I don't mind sacrificing my own wants and needs for her. My wife and my kids are probably the two people that I will sacrifice my, my wants and needs for. And yeah, I'm just constantly communicating and, and learning how to coexist with with one another, learning what and appreciating that we're not going to be the same tomorrow that we are today and that we are ever evolving beings and that we may change and that the person who you met 20 years ago isn't going to be the same person today. And that is so key because I hear so many people saying, you're just not the same anymore. You're not the same anymore. You're not the same person who I met. No, of course I'm not. You know, we, we are, we're beings, we're meant to change, we're meant to evolve every day, we're meant to grow, we're meant to, as humans, we, we have to change and move forward. And if I'm the same person, or if you want me to be the same person that we met back in the day, 20 years ago, then I'm not the person for you, because I'm not a person that's going to stay stagnant. I am always going to evolve and grow and change, and you have to keep up with that. You have to move with that. That's something that we both understand, and you know, and we both push forward and we both excel and we both like, okay, let's, what's the next thing? How could we get you to the next point in your professional life or in your spiritual life or in your, you know, in your family life? Like what, what can we do to help each other move and evolve and grow? Both pushing for growth. And I think that's, it's just key that is for us. Yeah, I love that. You are constantly being reintroduced to that new person that your partner's growing to and vice versa, which is why you need to, create the time to get to know that person. It's like back in the day when you were dating and you're getting to know someone, it's exactly the same thing throughout your relationship. What happens a lot of times, people don't have that or don't create that time. And therefore you're like, who is that? That's a stranger. But no, the person has just grown and you don't want them to stay stagnant. You've got to be receptive to that growth. I think it really speaks to, you know, you don't know working in the inclusion space, but a lot of times talk about how 
people just want to feel seen and heard and very easily they can just be dismissed. Like what your, what your wife is saying is like, she wanted you to hear her. It's, it's the apology. And which required for you, like you said, step outside of yourself. What's really, really going on here? What's at play here? It's not just this, it's bigger than that. And you going down that journey, meant okay, now I know I just don't have to, have to pivot. But you start with you having the willingness, because it takes two people to be able to see her and to see what was really at play. It's a powerful lesson, which also requires a lot of, I want to say, letting down the ego and just being willing to just lean in. I think a lot of times our ego can get in the way of, what are you tripping for you? I brought you here. So we can, we can go into that, 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 that red hair tear kind of mode as opposed to, nah, let's, let's, let's approach this differently. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's you know, we, we could, we could really kind of, like, what were you talking about? Like, I brought you here. I, yeah, this is me. Like, you're here for me type of thing. But it's, we, we are genuinely not like that. And I think as a couple, and as a married couple, we very rarely argue. I wouldn't say we don't have any arguments, but we very rarely argue. And I think it's because we both have the ability to try and understand the perspective of of somebody else so we can find a common ground and, and meet in the middle. Part of my brand, which I'm sure we'll, we'll speak about, is my family. So now, by default, they have an expectation. So I might go to an event and wear my colours and and be my personal brand, but they're also a part of my personal brand that I have done intentionally. But because of that, they have an expectation now and I didn't recognise that. So they can't just rock up and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm the, they, they, they now have to live up to this, the brand that I've created for them and myself. How did you build and create your personal brand? Was it something that you intentionally went after? Or was it something that naturally happened with you just working and doing you? A bit of both. So I was very, I think 2018, I was very, very intentional about my brand. I had read a few books, he personally influenced by Daniel Priestley, and I knew at that point that running a service-based business, I needed to have a strong personal brand to accompany that. But then I wrote a strategy. It wasn't a long strategy. It was a two-page strategy. I actually wrote it with um, Daniela, Gina, who I know you've had on the, the program, a friend of mine, and, and at the time was my, my coach. And I was like, look, I need to have a strong personal brand, so let's write a, a, a strategy. And we did. We, we came up with a, a strategy, and it was a basic strategy, but it was enough to get me on the personal branding journey that, of course, the strategy then evolved into to the brand that you see today. But I was very intentional about what I wanted my brand to look like, what I wanted my brand to represent. The The only thing that I would say kind of threw a curveball into my brand and building up the brand was George Floyd. And that was an unexpected curveball because... I could no longer be the same person that I was after George Floyd, which meant that my brand had to have changed. It meant that I had to start speaking out on things that mattered. I had to, I had to include social activism that of some kind into to my brand because I couldn't have a platform 
and see things and not speak about it. That doesn't sit right with me. And that's the only thing that really wasn't, that was a curveball. But I quickly adapted and I quickly was like, okay, this has happened. I know myself personally. I know I have to live my true self and speak on things that matter. So I now have to incorporate this into my brand. And so it's not contrived because it's not really a contrived thing, but I have to recognise that it is going to now be part of a brand, meaning that people are going to know me for this. Some people are going to know me for this social activism piece. Some people might know me for entrepreneurship. Some people might know me for being a family man and having a wife and kid. Some people might know me for being involved in, you know, or having a passion for fitness and, you know, and going to the gym and stuff, you know, and, and that's okay. Some people might know me for all four, but that's okay. But I have to understand that there are going to be some people that know me for this, some people that know me for that, some people that know me for that, and some people that know me for that. And those are what I call my pillars. So those are kind of like my core pillars, what I'm known for. And I won't do anything outside of that to put my brand in disrepute or to confuse my audience. You know, everything that you would see coming from my brand, absolutely everything would align itself to one of those four pillars, whether it's social activism, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's family, whether it's fitness. And I, you know, defy anyone to look at any of my outlets and try and find something that speaks outside of those four things. It will be practically impossible. Part of that branding is you talking about those four different pillars. Have you always been good at writing like copy and creating content? I know you're into art and stuff like that, but has that been something that that element of it, has that always come easy to you or is that something that you had to nurture and develop? I would say nurture and develop. When I was younger, I always wanted to be a journalist. So that was my, my thing. And, and that's like, I always wanted to, but my mom always wanted me to be a journalist. Like even now she's like, why are you doing that rubbish? Why don't you just be a journalist? You're on good and wanted Britain. Why don't you never take off a PS? Blah, blah. And I'm just like, mom, I'm not a journalist. I don't want to be impartial. I have got things to say. <laughs> so yeah. So, um, and I've always been a blog writer. So kind of like back in my earlier days, I've always written blogs and I've always written personal blogs. I had a diary. Well, I'm not meant to say that journal. Toxic masculinity when I was um when I was younger. So I was always writing. I was always quite creative in terms of writing and stuff. And um and I I just loved to write, you know, hence why I'm 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 starting to write write my book and and yeah, I just kind of say what's on my mind and and then I, over the years I've just nurtured it. And yeah, and it's been been fun and it, and it resonates with people. It resonates with people and and often I'm just writing what I think. Do you ever, ever been in that space where you're like, oh, people don't want to hear this or people might judge what I say or people might not respond, resonate? Has that all those kind of thoughts crossed your mind in the early days? I know that's what stops a lot of people from putting stuff out there a lot of times. Yeah, 100%. Even the last month, like a few weeks ago, of course, you know, I, I've won the, the MBCC Awards and last year we had the theme around anti-racism and unfortunately for some white people it was too much for them and they felt attacked to the point where they mentioned to somebody else who we know that they wasn't coming back because they felt attacked 
But then they kind of went on to speak about me and my character and stuff and, and a few more things that, you know, that I probably won't say on this platform. And I was toying with the idea for about a week around whether I was going to post it or not. Obviously not name the person, but post it. Because of the moment that you use the term white people, it just gets everyone's back up for some weird reason. I don't understand why, because it's not personal to every single white person. It's just those white people who felt attacked that I'm speaking to you. But it's almost like people really turn up and people don't want you speaking about race in particular. But I, I, I posted it anyway. And, you know, you do what you do. And I had a few messages from some white people saying they too felt uncomfortable. But my point is, is, and I think I said it at the top of the conversation, I'm no longer going to prioritise other people's needs, wants and desires over mine. I'm no longer going to allow people's voices to be heard when they're spewing their rubbish and crap about feeling attacked and me silence mine when that wasn't the case. So now I, I, I just write it and I just say what I feel. What I do do is... um. Anything like that, that I've got a question mark over, I do and I get my wife to check it just to make sure it's not too much or too heavy. And there are there have been some instances where she's like called it back and be like, no, you can't do that. You can't say that. Which I'm thankful for. And that's something that I would recommend everyone to have. Have somebody who's got your best interest at heart, who's not here just for the drama and who's not here just to sit by and watch the popcorn and the comment, you know, have their popcorn and watch the comments go up or somebody who wants the best for you and understands who you are in your heart to read through your copy before you actually put it out there because it's so, so important because you could say the wrong thing and you're immediately gone. It's sad to hear, but it's also not surprising. And even when you were saying that run around, when you made that conscious choice to start speaking up about certain things and leading into that social acting side of things, in my head I was like, yeah, that's... Um, for me, I was like, yep, that's absolutely great. You have a platform, you have a voice. Then it flaps and flaps and like, yeah, but that's also going to bring a lot of negativity. A lot more people are going to come out to want to attack you. And naturally, just sometimes just attack you and attack your family because they're, they're part, of the, part of the brand. So it's also you opening yourself up for a lot more criticism and a lot more personal attacks in a way that was very, very different to other elements of your brand. Mm-hmm. You know, I've lost friends. I've lost white friends because of me being, and I use the term friends very loosely, but for me being vocal about, you know, racial practice and, and them being, you know, against, and well, being for anti-racism. And, and it does, it, particularly because I'm, you know, I'm, I am hyper-visible in, in, on the scene and, um, you know, I'm, I often speak about it on TV and in the press and so forth. You know, you do become a target of ritual and you do become a target of attacks and your family becomes a target of attacks as well. And it's difficult, you know, I've lost sponsorships, I've lost clients, I've lost quite a few things because I've decided to speak up about certain things. However, I have gained and what I've lost, I've gained twofold because the people that I have gained, they're like, we're riding for this. We love the model. We love the message. We're going to ride to this all day long. And to me, that's so much more better than to have people in your corner 
that doesn't necessarily get it or want it or wants to ride for you are just there just because. And I'm I'm grateful for that space. I mean, I'm grateful for, for God showing me who these people are and for them showing themselves who they are because nobody wants that bad energy amongst amongst their circle. Not at all. Uh, you need real friends and good friends and known difference between friends and acquaintances is, is, a, is a major one for sure. What would you advise someone who is thinking about starting their own personal brand as to how, do they, how can they get started and stay consistent? Because that's also key. Yeah. So be intentional and it begins and ends with your pillars. So really kind of understand what your four pillars are. So what, and I say four, it's between two and four, I always say. So two at a minimum, four at the maximum. Um, and really work out what you want to be known for. You know, what do you want people to know you for? So if someone's speaking about you in a different room and you're not there, you know, what do you want them to say about you? That's where you need to start. You know, do you want them to say, aside from the fact that, you know, you're a lovely guy and or a lovely girl and all the niceties about you, what do you want to be known for? What do you want your brand to be known for? Do you want to be known for a business person or an entrepreneur or somebody who's a professional in there or a lawyer, solicitor, doctor, engineer? You know, do you want to be known for, for that? Or do you want to be known? Do you also want to be known for being a family man, single dad, you know, or single mom or whatever the case may be? Do you want to be known for that? Do you want to be known for somebody who likes sports? Do you want to be known for... You know, somebody who's into fitness, you know, what do you want to be known for? That will be the first thing you need to understand your pillars, you know, between two and four pillars. And then once you understand your pillars and you need to work out how am I going to build my brand to lend itself back to these pillars? So what avenues am I going to take? Am I going to start a podcast? Am I going to win awards? Am I going to write a blog? Am I going to do networking? Am I going to use press and PR and go on TV? You know, am I going to write a book? You know, what am I going to do to build these four pillars? What avenues am I going to use? And then, of course, as you said earlier, it's about that consistency. It's about just constantly pushing it, constantly re- reinforcing it, constantly saying, okay, I want to be known for this, so I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it consistently. If you want to be known for being a family man, then one of the things that you might do is write, want to write a blog about being a father. So that's, for example, the Marvin. Perfect example. Build it and be consistent with it. Or you might want to start a podcast about it. Build it and be consistent with it. And then people would then start to know you for and identify you as one of your pillars. Is that you're a great dad. Whatever you do behind closed doors, that's their business, you know, that's your business. But what you're putting out to the world, and I hope you are a great dad behind closed doors if you are putting that out to the world, but what you're putting out to the world is that part of your brand is that you are a great dad. And that's what people would know you for and that's what people would speak about you for. And, you know, and that's one of the core pillars of mine is that I'm a family person, I'm a great dad. And, and one of the defining points of that, which actually was quite unintentional, unintentional, was me bringing the boys to the Marcus Ratford mural. Like when I brought the boys to, to that mural, 
And that was just quite impulsive. That was like, like, this has happened, boys. You're not going to school today. We need to go up here. We need to show our respect. We need to stand in solidarity. We need to stand against racism. That was like part of something I wanted to do. Had no idea any of the press or anything was going to be there. But that act alone resonated with so many different people from white, black, brown, you know, all different races across all different cultures, across all different people. There was all actually like, you know what? That was an amazing thing as a dad for you to do. So it's just important that you are consistent with whatever you want your brand to be. You know, you're consistent with it. Some real, real good advice. And I think it also shows the, one of the pillars that you did not mention, but for me, it sounds so relevant. Everything that you talk about is authenticity. But everything that you do is just about you being true and authentic to yourself. You've seen something wrong. You've seen the mask thing like, right, I want to take my kids. And that, that was you being authentic. It wasn't trying to do images. I think it's easy a lot of times to look around, be like, this person's doing this, this person's doing that. Let me copy that. And you can easily get lost in that rather than do what's true to who you are and what you're about as well. It's, 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 and it, it's true and, and you've got to be authentic. And, and I see people all the time like trying to mimic and do what I do. And I'm like, it's not going to work for you because it's just, I would, I would write a post and, you know, rather than someone share it, they would literally just copy it, adapt it and write it in their own words. But it doesn't, it doesn't hit in the way that, because it's not authentic to them. And as I, I see it often, you know, I see it often, I see it often. And me, if I see a post that I like, I'm, I'm not here for the tricks and the clickbait and the, the likes and whatever. I would just share the hell out of the post, the original author of that content. And because they've wrote it, right? it's their thoughts and their feelings, right? So why am I trying to mimic that? Because it's, it's, it's theirs. But, you know, I see people all the time, like, if I've written something, come Twitter or something, you know, I go back an hour later and they've practically written the same thing, you know, word for word. And I'm like, okay, but it's not authentic to you. You created a number of awards. So we've got the World Culture of like Business and, and Community Awards and others that you've done over, over the years. What is it about creating and recognizing other people that is important to you? Because, I mean, doing one, you're like, all right, cool, fair enough. You've done it more than once. And it's not easy to run awards and to create stuff. And like you said, you also have a business to run. So what is it around it that, that inspires you to keep on birthing this and bringing it, bringing it to the world? You know what? So when it comes to the MBCC Awards, that's actually the brainchild of Zoe Benny. And he first created the MBCC Awards, which was the Midlands Business and Community Charities or something like that. And her purpose really was to recognise and celebrate unsung heroes. But she only wanted to do it for a year, which she did do. And then in year two, she kind of said no more and handed it over to me. And the reason why I took it, rebranded it and ran with it with the support of Zoe was because my purpose in life is to platform people. That is my purpose in life. I believe that. Throughout all my businesses, throughout all my what I do is to platform and support others. 
you know, and I, I, I genuinely believe that that is part of my ministry and, and what I do. I, I do that in the academy when I'm platforming, you know, the young guys and, and, and empowering them. I do that with the next generation of entrepreneurs. I do that in my coaching when I'm helping and supporting them with their personal branding. I'm doing that with the awards when I'm providing a platform for them to be celebrated and to be visible. I just believe that there is there's power in giving and there's power in in doing for others and platforming others. And I am very fortunate because through me giving, I receive tenfold, you know, give and it will come back to you. And me platforming others has allowed me to be platformed. Last year, I, you know, we, we did the awards, the you know, the awards, and it was great. And we had 700 people. It was in the press and it was all over the place and all over social media. You know, six months later, I was receiving an honorary doctorate and being recognised as one of the top Black 25 entrepreneurs to watch. That wasn't, I, I genuinely believe it's because of the work that I've been giving and pushing and putting in the community why I'm receiving those accolades. So if I give, I'm confident, you know, that, that God's saying, you deserve, and I'm going to give to you in abundance. You know, not just little sprinkles. I'm going to give to you in abundance. And that's why I would always continue to give, not to just receive, although I'm a firm believer that, you know, I'd give a little bit to to receive, but to platform people. And, and I believe that that's my purpose in life. And I believe that's always been my purpose from the moment that I, that I, I open my eyes. It's always been to help support and platform others. But that you giving out to people and platforming orders has seen you get the, the doctorate from Art University and give you that Dr. True Power status. It has seen you on national TV on Good Morning. It's seen you as an entrepreneur. We got Candy, the UK's like first child spa. You got BCC on um, BCC awards and so many different things like where accolades. Of all those different accolades that you've had, away from your family, which I know you're super proud of, which one to you means the most? You know what, Sokri, I think that's a really good question. And for me, it's not the accolades and the awards that really mean the most to me. For me, I think it's the rewards. And I think it's so important that as entrepreneurs, we understand the difference between awards and rewards. So awards are great, you know, those, those little shiny things that sticks on your rental piece and you know, you've got thousands of them and, you know, you get decorated and you're celebrated and it brings visibility and it's all good. And it's kind of like a physical icon to tap you on the back for the good work that you've done. Fantastic, you know. But actually, the rewards are the unseen and and often go unnoticed. But it's the it's your why. It's the reason why you do what you do and not the what you get for what you do. So for example, my rewards are, you know, having a young black boy come to the academy from the inner city, quite troubled, who appeared to be, you know, similar to to myself growing up, there wasn't safe spaces, but he engaged in performing art in the best of his ability. We worked with the school and stuff and, and got him on the straight and narrow. And, and you know, we've gone after uni, studied theatre while still engaging with the Performing Arts Academy and then being a 
I, I, I act on, an active on, you know, one of the leading salts coronating street. For me, that's a reward, you know, the rewards of seeing the kids and the children, my kids being proud of their, of their dad, you know, and, and being able to speak highly of them and being constantly, you know, being ever present in their lives. For me, that's a reward. There's so many different rewards. Reward is seeing others get awards on the platform that I've built. For me, that's a reward. So it's those things for me that hit home. It's those rewards for me that are, I'm like, this is the reason why I do what I do. No accolade, no physical award, nothing can compare to me seeing the reasons why I do come into fruition in a physical manifestation in 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 Corby being in, in Coronation Street or in people being sessional musicians out there playing for, you know, the likes of all these amazing artists. I, I just I find that so incredibly rewarding and nothing can compare to that. Yeah. I I love that distinction between awards and rewards. And like I said, it's easy to get the, the public accolades, but the true soul nurturing rewards that you feel and you receive when you see people growing and then taking that to the next level, you see this, the seed that you planted, like manifesting, which takes a longer time to do. It's such a powerful because you know you've made a difference. You know you've made an, you've made an impact in, in someone else's lives. And in your case, in thousands of lives, especially with the young entrepreneur's work that you've been you've been doing over the years. So yeah, I definitely yeah. And does that also help you when it comes to, to parenting? Until you go three three beautiful kids. How do you then begin to nurture the their mindset? in the way that they're thinking, the way they're approaching life and whether it's around entrepreneurship, school, whatever it is, how does the way that you live and the way that you show up, which is to pour into people, how does that affect your parenting? I think so the first thing is lead by example. And one of the first life lessons that, you know, I, I was taught, you know, lead by exa- example. And I want my my boys to to grow up to be like me or better or a better version than me and I want my girls to marry a husband who role or wife or you know nobody or whatever knocks their boats who who is a better version than me or their mom you know I I, I and, and I want to set that example I want to set that example I want them to know what it what they deserve and how they should be treated, but also how they should act. And that shows up every single day in, in, in my household. But also just the, the key principles of sharing, you know, that's it's such a big, big thing. And, you know, we always, 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 always believe in the power of sharing and giving to others, even when we, you know, give them gifts or something like, you know, I know some parents and some households, and you know, that's fine for their households, and I'm not disrespecting how they raise their children. But some some households think believes that what's yours is yours, and you know, if you've got a car and you don't want to share, and you don't want to have your your sibling playing with that car, then that's fine. But actually, in our household, whether you like it or not, 
you're sharing, you're going to have some time, even if it's yours and your brother's going to have some time and that's it. You know, they have computers and these like VSs and all these, you know, things. And you're always here, but it's mine now. It's mine now. I don't care. You're sharing. You're allowing your brother to have some time. You know, you're allowing, we're creating space for, for to share and give to others because I, I genuinely believe that it's a quality that would serve them well in the future. If they can learn to share at such a young age, then they'll be able to give unto others. And I think that that's so important. You encourage young kids to have personal brands? Yeah, I do. I do. And um, and it's not as strong as what I say now, but particularly from 13 and upwards, the moment that you open a social media account, you started to build your brand. So my thing is, is you need to start being intentional about it. And it's not so far as saying, oh, look at what you want to be known for and these are your pillars and look at how you want to advocate it. But it's more of a, be very mindful what you push out there at this point in time because it can come back to bite you in the future. You know, you, 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 you started your digital footprint and your digital footprint remains forever. And what do you, you know, if you want to be a doctor, lawyer, politician or whatever, anything that you put out today, even though you think that you're a kid, doesn't matter, we'll come back to haunt you. So you have to be really mindful about the brand and what you want to be seen as. And and it's the same with like my girls and stuff. Like there was a time where, you know, they would watch other people's social media channels and they would want to do what other people are doing. And through my eyes, I just felt that it looked, dare I say, loose. And I'm like, <laughs> you ain't doing that. You are not doing that. Like, let's just really back in. And the reason why you're not doing that is because what impression do you want to give to others? Now, to you, it might be a little TikTok dance. It might be just a little, mm-hmm. but to others, it, it says loose. It says, I'm going to DM this girl because I know that I can not rare tear tear. And it says, you ain't got no home training. And the latter I can't deal with. The latter I would not, like, could we know you have? Let's just, let's just correct that. Um, and, but that, for me, that's where the personal brand journey starts. Just understanding whatever you put out there would have a different interpretation to others and be mindful that you're starting to create your own digital footprint. Sorry, good um That last point, you got the whole training. I love that, people. That's like a, that's like a staple. Like, listen, you're out there, you're representing the yard. You have to, you have to know. <laughs> Let's play games here. Like, you are on, you have home training. Like, you sit your dad tight you sit your son. No, sir. No, because you know wrong from right and you've got your own training. Let's, let's show people that we come from good stuff. Do you or your brother still sing? <laughs> yes. <laughs> we hung up our mics a few years ago and we actually believe that the power of what we do, the purpose of what we do is, 
it's helping and supporting the next generation of artists and singers. So, you know, we will support, we will, you know, train, we will help with their vocals, we will help with their performance skills and stuff through using the academy as an agent to do that. But we, in terms of us singing, probably not, it has to be a very, very special occasion. So I don't know if one of my siblings were getting married and they said, oh, we'd want you to sing or one of my friends, then I'll do that. Or if, you know, somebody died and their dying wish, which probably wouldn't be because I'm not happy. Whether their dying wish was um, for me to sing at their funeral or something, then I probably will do that. I probably will sing collectively with the Academy and the choir guys because I think there's something powerful with everybody singing one voice, um, in one voice. So you might have seen us out and you might have seen that both me and my brother join the, the choir and the choral because we believe that they need to see us with them. So we probably will do that. But outside of all of that, then probably not. No time. How do you define leadership? I think that's such a good word for leadership. And for me, do as I do and not what I say always comes to mind. Understanding the power of influence and the power of having a, a strong team and being able to being able to, you know, confidently and apologetically trust your own voice in your own decision making and being able to communicate that in a way that whether your team likes it or not, they become part of the vision and they buy into the vision and become part of the journey. I think it's so important that you are able to influence and bring your team along with you, whether they like it or not, whether it's something that they want to do or not, because they trust and respect you and the vision that you have and you're confident in that I think it's really important what's next for you what is it that you want to see happen what is it you want to accomplish the next couple of years for you oh I I, you know I I want to do so much I very much want to grow the grow my coaching and consultancy business I think there's so much power in there and so much power in helping entrepreneurs and, you know, anybody with their business leaders, CEOs with their personal brands. Um, I love what I do and I I want to grow that. I want to grow the awards. I want the awards to be televised in the next three years. So I've got, you know, I've got work to do. I want to build a solid network around black entrepreneurship within the Midlands. I don't think we, we, we have that. I think it's something that we're, we're missing. I want to do something around around that. And I just want to continue living unapologetically and just continue living in my own voice and continue to be courageous, continue to be just authentically me. I just, you know, it's not allowing any anything or anyone to dim that light and to dim that vision. I think those are the things, the key things that I really want. And just in terms of the academy, just continue on the ship of providing a platform. You know, I'm not, I'm not interested in growing it. I'm not interested in, you know, franchising it or having different chains or winning any awards for it or anything. Like, I'm not interested in any of that. You know, what I'm interested in is affecting the lives of a certain group of young people 
and affecting it dramatically and significantly to the point where they do grow up, they do grow up to be valuable women and men of society and, you know, get married and have their kids and, you know, work for and, you know, and drive to better the lives of other young people and, and just have a safe space. That's what we exist to do and that's what I, I want to continue to do. So, yeah, so that's kind of what's next for me. Who knows? I might be doing that in a different city, in a different country. Even we never know. Come on, the whole world. Let the whole world know. Let the whole world receive Absolutely. that that pouring that you've been have been doing. Like I said, like you've the work you've done over the years for young people, entrepreneurs in Berlin in particular. Like thousands of lives have been changed and inspired people who have been able to dream dreams that they are told not to have coming from our background and be inspired that actually I can have that. And that's what you've been part of that story, part of that journey. And for me, it's, it's very, it's very inspiring to see. And there's so many different, that's why I love that. I love when people embrace different elements of who they are from the family side of things to like married kids holding that down. Then you've got the business side of things. Then you've got the awards and the entrepreneurship side of things. There's so many different elements to who you are and you're carrying all of that and recognizing I can pull at this element whenever I need to. But I'm going to do that in my own way in through my own brand and not going to be held back by what anyone or anything wants to bring because you're just going to make it and get it. And just like, okay, mom taught you, you know, you, you got that mantra down and you're living that truly. And for me, I just, I just love to see it. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I really do. And I think that's, it's nice when it's received and it's seen because often we, we do things and, you know, and we don't necessarily give each other feedback or give each other, you know, that, that pass on the back. So I, I, I receive it and I, I'm really thankful for it. Old show notes will contain a lot of information about Dr. True Power, about coaching programs, so you can definitely get involved in that. You heard what he's saying now. Well, CEOs and execs, those who want to, those who need to grow their personal brand, or what they need to grow their personal brand, this is the person for you to come and talk to. There's going to be a book coming out in, in the future, you know. So definitely make sure you keep, keep an eye out for that for sure. Um, but I appreciate you, my brother, coming on. And the leadership, we'll see you next week. Here's a quick preview of who we got coming up in next week's episode. Make sure you're following the show so you don't miss out on this amazing guest. I had this job and I just walked away and didn't have anything lined up. But I think that moment taught me a lot about myself. One thing I do during the week is I go for a run. And most days after each run, I upload a video on LinkedIn. Normally about two or three minutes. So if you want to get a little bit size information as to what's going on in my head after that run, Check me out on LinkedIn. Just type in my name, S-O-P-E-A-G-B-E-L-U-S-I, and you'll find me. And you can tap into some more content outside of everyday leadership.